You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. We're talking about the Monster yes. Mash now. We're now, we're first we're talking about Monster Mash. We're not talking, that's not my topic today. No, not specifically <laughs> the Monster Mash. It's my dad's favorite Halloween song. That's so cute. Oh, God. I have no idea what my favorite Halloween song is. There's some good ones. There's so many good ones. But. Monster Mash is up there. Ah, Igor, you impetuous boy. <laughs> I'm like, why? You did the You did the Monster so Mash. And there's so many dumb wow. ways to it. <laughs> <laughs> What day is this going to come out? This is going to come out the 6th, which is the first Tuesday All right. of October. And we will have a spoopy topic. Spoopy times. So, Yay. yeah, if uh, Halloween and spooky shit isn't your jam, uh, give us a five star man. anyways, and then fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> You're dealing with nerd cosplayers, obviously Halloween, Halloween. is our motherfucking jam. Yeah. That's your fault for Halloween is the one time a year we can dress up as normal costumes. Mm-hmm. It's the best. It's I just want to be a slutty fucking nurse, okay? I just want to be every witch hat ever. Yeah. Not the hat, but you know, I want to wear all the hats. Yeah. I would like to be lots of terrible things. Yeah, we were fruit bats last year. It was so cute. It was so fine. That's one of the costumes I have here because we wore it in Vegas because yeah. we spent Halloween in Vegas last yeah. year. Oh, we did spend Halloween in Vegas yeah. last year. It's going to be much less so, fun this year. Martha and I are moving. Yes. Yes, we are. We're really excited. Yeah. We're really excited. We're moving to a nicer place. Honestly, I don't think it's that much smaller, even though it's two bedrooms. No, I think it's a very similar, similar. amount of space. Yeah. The main room is so open and then there's so much light. Yeah, there's a lot of light. My bedroom is bigger. Yes. And now I have a runway closet. I will be able to take photos of every angle ever. That 45 degree angle is so, so good. So good for every part of your body. Do not know how to take a picture of yourself. 45 degrees. Mm -hmm. That will change your picture so much. It's going to make your stomach look flatter. It's going to you make your more of a legs. Chin. You're going to have more of a chin. Your legs are going to look so much longer, especially if you're wearing heels. Just saying. We're good at posing. Do a lot of it. We're the best posers. <laughs> uh, All right. Anyway, right. we're enough of fucking that. <laughs> Episode 24. 24. 24. I'm Brittany Petrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But First, Let's Talk Nerdy. Clank! Drinking some white claws today. White claws. Large white claws. Mm-hmm. We got the large boys going on mm-hmm. here. Okay. Episode 24. You are doing. First week in fucking October. I am going to talk about Goosebumps. Woo! Oh my god, I'm so excited! I know! So, listener beware, you're in for a scare. Oh my god, I hate you. <laughs> but I'm really excited. Yeah. Love these books. Oh my god. <sighs> it's it's so many people's childhood. Yeah. Ugh, so, so, so much. My sources were um, I used Wikipedia, fandom, uh, the Scholastic website, 
There's a um, podcast called Wizard and the Bruiser, and I used one of their episodes on Goosebumps. And then some R.L. Stein quotes that I found along the way. So good. I didn't well. even think of that, as long as we're not talking about the scary dummy one. It will come up for a reason. But I'm also, as we have talked about, like, I can't deal with that Batman villain that's a dummy. I can't deal with, like, dummies. Dolls are not cool. No. Bad, bad, bad. Not a fan. This is not a doll podcast. And yeah, this is not a doll. This place. is an anti-doll podcast. If you are a doll, don't listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> but still leave us five stars. But yeah, please rate and review. <laughs> and then get the fuck out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I figured it would be fun to kick off October with one of the things that got me into the spooky nonsense as a kid. So Goosebumps by R.L. Stein. If this doesn't immediately bring you back to the fucking Scholastic Book Fair, then you are probably a different age than I was going to say, you are young. So, in 1992. Damn. I know. You were a small beeb. I was also a small beeb. That's that. <laughs> Scholastic introduced a monthly book series by Robert Lawrence Stein, so R.L. Stein, called Goosebumps, with Goosebumps, Welcome to Dead House. This was in the days of the Scholastic Book Fairs, which I did look up, and they do still happen, which awesome. Not really. Mm-hmm. We used to have the, like, just, it would, you wouldn't even have book fairs, they'd just be in school. Like, they'd send you the thing, and you could order books. Yeah, the little, so they yeah. would send, um, so Scholastic has actually been around since, uh, fucking 1920. I know. And they basically were like, oh, well, we're going to corner this market and hold on to it with, like, our entire fucking lives, and no one else will be able to get into it. And it has worked really well. So they sent those catalogs that you would get to the school for free, and then if people bought things... Through the catalog, the school would get points towards, like, yeah. school things. And then I re- so really, everybody fucking yeah. won. And then I remember if you got certain things, a lot of times you get stupid little... Like a pencil sharpener yeah, or a cute like eraser, a things like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so many cute yeah. things. So they um, amped up their book club and stuff like that in the 70s. And, uh, yeah, they got in early. Then they held on to the market. They still have the market. So good on them. Baller. Goosebumps was truly a fucking 90s glory. Classic book fairs, like I said, bright, weird, airbrushed art, spooky nonsense. It was kind of trashy. It was spitting out books like it was your job. Uh, it was a book series, but it was also something fun. And it was never trying to be like, hey, I'm reading I don't know, fucking crime and punishment. Hey, I'm going to write a fucking book report about this nonsense. Yep. This is some quick and dirty nonsense that makes it more obvious that books aren't all snooty. And you aren't just reading them with your glasses halfway down your nose. Sometimes books are just bullshit fun. And you don't have to write a shitty book report or do a diorama of. Though, if you did do a diorama, Goosebumps would be fucking fun to do. I think I probably have a couple of Goosebumps books here or there somewhere. So Arl Stein actually started uh, writing comedy. When he was a kid, he was actually writing joke books like back in the early 50s, late 40s, um, on a typewriter that he would hand out. A typewriter? I know, how fucking cute. And that was always more his jam than horror, which, fair. That said, he was also a kid in the 50s, like I said, so he was growing up with all of those wonderful 50s monster movies and all of the old-timey spooky comics like Tales from the Crypt, Tales of Suspense, weird mystery comics, shit like that. 
So I had a bunch of Goosebumps books, and but I know for a fact my sister, and we still have them, all of his, like, horror books were, like, older teenagers. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you graduated from yeah. from the Goosebump books, you would They're go like, to, actually, like... Actually, sometimes people yeah, die. <laughs> but, but it was still for, like, teenagers, mm-hmm. like, 16-year-olds, and we had a bunch of those, and I read those after I, like, got a little too old for Goosebumps. And and I went to those, because my sister had a whole bunch of That's them. That's so cute. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> So, although as a kid, um, R.L. Stein never experienced any actual terror, he did really like all of the tales from the crypt, and there was a comic called The Vault of Horror. This is a quote. Uh, they were gruesome. I discovered them in the barbershop. I used to get a haircut every Saturday, so I wouldn't miss out on any of these comic books. I had no hair at all when I was a kid. <laughs> so they're like, are you sure you want another haircut? And he's like, reading this comic. Yeah. Like, yes, it's fine. <laughs> Take off the, the one sixteenth of an inch that crew from last week. <laughs> oh, so good. Um, so as an adult, he'd written joke books for kids under the name <laughs> Jovial Bob Stein, which fucking LOL. Jovial Bob Stein. Yeah, it's a thing, I guess. Uh, and then he started working with a scholastic on a humor magazine called Bananas. Okay, so this is an anecdote that I heard from the episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. And I didn't fact check it, so if it's a lie, it's not my fault, but it's theirs. <laughs> um, and if it is a lie, it's a solid one, so I don't fucking care. So he'd been writing joke books and shit for a while, and his editor had had a horrible meeting with a new teen horror writer, I guess that would be. He wasn't a teen that was writing horror. He was writing horror for a teens mm-hmm. named Christopher Pike. And she was so furious that the guy was so fucking full of himself, she was like, Stein, it's called Blind Date. Just get it fucking done for me. And I really genuinely feel like any old asshole can write this. And he was like, okay. okay. Yep. Got it done. And also this started his habit of starting his books off of titles. So a lot of his wow. books. I know. It's such a like weird and different way wow. to write anything. But also looking at the titles, you're like, oh, it makes so much yeah. fucking sense. But yeah, a lot of his books, he would come up with a title. And then he would kind of hash out the vague idea. He would talk to the artist. And then um, he would write the story after that. And it was one a month. So, and one of them... God, that's a lot of writing. Yeah. One of them, he literally got done in like fucking six days. And Uh, so I was reading... That would be me. Because I would would be like, oh, I just wrote all of this book. I need need a week off. And then I'd be like, oh no, I have five days to finish this book. Oh yeah. (laughs) I.e. our podcast. Oh no, I have four hours to finish our podcast episode. So I think the difference is he wrote it probably in the first six days because literally reading an interview with him, he's the type of person who's like, yeah, I know writing is hard for some people, but like I literally can't stop writing. If I'm on vacation, I can go probably like 10 days, maybe two weeks without writing. And then I start to feel like weird and jittery and shit like that and I have to start writing again. Like God, I am yeah, I am not the opposite. We are not those people. No. Not at all. Um but yeah, so in nineteen eighty nine uh Stein started writing. Oh 
baby Britney. Uh, Stein started writing the Fear Street books, uh, which came before the Goosebumps books. There's so many, like, fucking different... Yeah. So I was like, I'm not dealing with the rest of this nonsense. We're talking about Goosebumps, and that's it. <laughs> this. Yeah. Which is good. Pick a, pick a series. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it There's so many. Anything. Yeah. And then before launching the Goosebumps series, he authored some humorous science fiction books, and one of them is called Losers in Space, which is great. Though I do kind of want to read that. Oh my god, are you kidding? Sold. (laughs) Immediately. I am a loser in space. No. (laughs) And then Stein went with uh, Parachute Press to uh, launch Goosebumps. And so Parachute Press was also founded by Jane Stein, Robert's wife, and another lady, Joan Aricha. We'll see how that is who was the one who uh, convinced him to write for a slightly younger demographic. So Goosebumps hit at pretty much the perfect time. There wasn't really much out that was scary, but like for kids scary. Yep. Also, it was the mid-90s and everything was neon and ridiculous. Yeah. Weird oozing. They were, yeah, the, like the neon green ooze. Yeah. Or, the fucking yeah. em- embossed mm-hmm. covers. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Oh I was my looking god, at yes. the covers and I was immediately brought back. It's like, ugh, I've been... I bet we got rid of all my books, but I had so many. And if we just put them in the attic, I'm going to ask my parents that the next time. Fingers crossed. Yeah, if they're just in the attic, I'll have them ship a couple our way. Oh, my favorite was the choose your own ending. I had like this one that had a bat on the front that was like holographic. Yes. I don't remember at all what the story was about, but I loved it. Still holographic. Um, they had the like so the goosebumps font was embossed, so mm-hmm. it like raised a little bit, which oh, was really so cool. Good. And so when the books first started selling, they sat for about four months when they first came out. And then, like, all of a sudden, they started getting picked up by bookstores, um, not by bookstores, at bookstores, and scholastic fairs and things like that. Basically, kids told each other about reading about werewolves and monsters and slime shit and stuff like that, and the energy that kids have recommending things... It's like, it's it's different because yeah. they're like, let me tell you about a thing. Especially I feel like if it's a book, yeah. too, parents are like, yeah, go ahead and read this book. Mm-hmm. You don't want just some stupid toy. Like, you want something that's actually good for you. Yeah, it was exactly catered to fucking elementary school kids. Mm-hmm. And usually there were some scary monsters or aliens or something, but there was also a common source of anxiety for kids, something that most people could relate to. So, like, yeah, you turned into a bee, which is scary, but also, look, whoever took over your body is also proving that the only reason you're a loser is you and not your dumb face mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so, like, being unpopular, being new, moving, things like that. Things that most people could relate to. The books in the Goosebump series, they uh, usually follow a similar structure. So there's a fictional child that's being scared in some sort of a situation, and usually... Children triumphing over evil and children facing hard or frightening situations and using their own wit and imagination to escape them. And Stein does not attempt to incorporate moral lessons into his novels and says his books are strictly reading motivation. But even so, there is still a moral aspect if it's like you're Don't a loser because... Blah, blah, blah. Or you're a loser because you believe you're a loser. Yeah. <laughs> like, as soon as you stop believing you're a loser, you're not a loser anymore. You're like, now. Yeah. And then you stung somebody, and now you want to drink honey, and everything's weird. <laughs> um, so a quote from R.L. Stein about this is, uh, he said, I don't really want to terrify kids. I want them to have a really good time reading. 
cute. And then there are twists, twists on twists on twists, and there's always one last ending twist, uh, like something obnoxiously fucking twisty. So here, for example, are a couple. Uh, Why I'm Afraid of Bees, the twist. Don't be afraid of bees, they're cute. They're pretty cute. Be afraid of wasps or hornets or something like that. We already established that. Bumblebees Bumblebees are are adorable. Yes. Um, But yeah, so he's returned. uh, Gary is the main character there, is returned to normal, but retains some bee-like qualities. And he tries to suck the pollen out of a blossom with his (laughs) tongue at the end of the story. Um, The haunted mask. After removing the haunted mask, Carly Beth, which is a super 90s fucking name, Yes, goes home is. and hugs her mother, dropping the evil mask by the door, and then her brother picks it up and puts it on and asks how it looks. Um, so stay out of the basement. Margaret's father supposedly destroys all of his plant experiments, but Margaret finds a flower that nudges her ankle and claims to be her real father. Guess what, Marco? I'm your real father! Pikachu's my father! <laughs> oh no! I should have known! <laughs> Alright. Sorry, I interrupted. I had to. It's okay. It was fair. Um, And then (laughs) here's another. This was probably my favorite of the stupid like twists. Because there's on the fucking Goosebumps Wiki, there's literally a list of twists. Really? I am gonna Google the shit out of that later. (laughs) Absolutely should. It was such a good trade back to like fucking Memory City. I don't know how to say these things. I think it's memory lane. A trip down memory lane, but I said train and I got fucked up. A train down memory lane. Train down memory city. That's what I said. Yeah, that's real bad. Okay, um, but yes. Try again there. There was a book called My Hairiest Adventure. And at the end, you figure out that Larry and his friends are actually dogs, and the allergy shots that Larry's been given are serum shots made to try and keep Larry human. However, they're temporary, and the kids turn back to dogs, which is why most of the parents leave town in tears. You should just stay dogs. That's way better. Your life is going to be so much better as a dog. (laughs) Um, All I want to be is a dog. There's another twist. After that, at the end, where Larry, as the dog, who is a pet now, instead of a child. So much better. Yeah, it's a better advice. Notices that his masters have brought home a baby girl with yellow cat-like eyes named Jasper, implying that his doctor has been experimenting on cats. Dun, dun, dun! So... After also, if you ever want to turn a cat or a dog into a person, they're so much better as a cat or a dog. Like literally, the only reason Luna, you would be the most obnoxious person ever. I would like to see you as a person. No, I don't ever want to. I would jump off our our balcony. Not like in real life, like in a picture. If somebody was like, "Hey, I took a picture of your cat and I turned her into a person through," well, we already know she would just be grumpy old lunch lady. Oh, it's true. It's true. Giving us chicken patties and one then you're like, like this oh. chicken patty has a bite out of it. Well, it's like the chicken patties and then they're like, oh, today is buff chick patty day. And all they do is just dip the same chicken patty in the buffalo sauce. Oh, no. That's so rude and it's not wrong. <laughs> or the square pizza that fit perfectly in your blue Do you like a good square pizza? Jesus, fuck. 
Is this just bring me back to elementary school day? You started it. I did. <laughs> I did this. So, in addition to the Goosebumps books, we also had 50 Give Yourself Goosebumps books. Those were the um, Choose Your Own Ending I ones. love Choose Your Own Ending ones. Yeah, exactly. They were written as game books, is what they're called. And then, for the most part, like, you just flip to a page and it's like oh you have two choices so you flip to this page or you flip to that page so literally in the goosebumps books some of them would be like well you made a really really bad choice so we're gonna send you back or you just immediately die yes Mm -hmm. i definitely remember doing some of them and it's just like and you're dead there was one uh escape from camp run for your life which is if you eat the blue eggs there or if you fail to acknowledge that the situation in the wicked wax museum is an emergency then sometimes the character will literally break the fourth wall and be like no you have to turn back and pick a better option because (laughs) you're a dummy which i fucking love so Arl Stein got a lot of ideas from things that happened around him. He was saying that most of the time his ideas come from two sources, his memory or his imagination. So here's a quote. When I write, I try to think back to what I was afraid of or what was scary to me and try to put those feelings into books. Um, and also, like, he keeps a bunch of spooky shit in his writing room just to make it more, I don't know, Halloween-like all the time. That was the one I had. Yes! Yes! I love it! Yeah. Reader beware, you choose this game. Yes! It's so good. The monster blood was based on a slime toy that one of his, that his son had that, like, he's stuck on the wall and then it stained the wall and he's like, ugh, gross. You know, <laughs> make that into a spooky story. Another spooky story that came from his son is his son tried on one of those latex Halloween masks and got it stuck on his head. And as he's trying to pull it off and probably crying, Arlstein is like, you know, this is a really good idea for a story. (laughs) And then, uh, so the spooky dummy, Slappy, uh, those stories were based off of the original Pinocchio novel. Novel or book? Whatever the fuck it is. Apparently it's it's very fucking scary. Um, They just burn off Pinocchio's feet at one point. They just smash fucking Jiminy Cricket. It's fucked up nonsense. So I was like, cool. I'm so glad that my fear of dolls is probably the son or grandson of your fear of dummies. (laughs) Thank you, Pinocchio, because you fucked a bunch of us up generations now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's cool. Awesome. You're the best. So Goosebumps always seemed to feel kind of like it was close to being baby Twilight Zone, except for in the end, the twist was not like existential dread. It was something (laughs) fun and weird. You were like, oh, maybe I'll just throw myself into a pit. Instead, you were like, maybe I'll throw myself into a pit of cute, slimy worms. I don't know. Something like that. Um, So the artist for 60 out of 62 of the original covers was named Tim Jacobus. And many of his original Goosebumps covers were created with traditional paint, and then he would do airbrush on top of that. It was pretty cool. Um, And so a lot of his art was inspired by uh, prog rock album covers. So it gave the hint that it was scary, but not too scary. And the colors were very eye-catching and, mm-hmm. like, a, like very popping. They're so bright. Um, and basically, these were all monster movie posters. So you wanted to do what a good monster movie poster would do, which is entice and make somebody spooked, 
but not either of too much of those things. Make sure that somebody's spooked, but not so spooked that they're going to not pick the thing up. Also, in a lot of the, the covers where he didn't have like something specific to draw, he would draw this perspective line as close to the floor as possible so that it would, it would always give like a child's view. So a lot of the like weird like kitchens and things like that where mm-hmm. you're looking, it looks like you're looking up from yeah. the floor and also the angles are a little off. Nothing's quite the way that it would be in real life. So fucking good. There was obviously, as we know, um, due to the enormous success of the book series, there was a TV show which was baller, and yes. as I mentioned good songs earlier, if you're looking for a good Halloween song, the Goosebumps theme is so fucking good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it is. It's so fucking solid. The TV series uh, started on October 27th in 1995. Oh, the day after my sixth birthday! <laughs> and then it ran through uh, November 16th, 1998. That was 20 days after my eighth <laughs> birthday! <laughs> so Goosebumps was made after Are You Afraid of the Dark? And both of them... Are you Afraid of the Dark? Yes, I know, right? So I couldn't... I was banned to watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because my little brother is a fucking coward and couldn't watch anything, and I got punished because of it. That sucks. I got to watch Are You Afraid of the Dark. That sucks. The actual, much younger than so me. the benefits of being a baby yeah. is that they, my parents would literally, but this is why I'm afraid of clowns, because my sisters were making me watch Poltergeist when I was like four. I'm afraid of clowns because I went to a blockbuster that was playing It. Yeah. See, so you never. When I was I probably like. Did it ever actually watch it? Luckily, Don't. but uh, <laughs> I mean, guys, is what did the clowns for me? Yeah. My sisters, being older sisters, they're a lot older than me. One of them is eight years older than me. One of them is ten years older than me. So little baby Brittany is like four or five years old. So I have one sister that's like thirteen, and the other is fifteen. <laughs> and Poltergeist would be on TV all the time because it, it was that time. And I was scared of the clown. I think I could watch every other part of that movie. I honestly don't remember any other part of that movie because clearly none of it mattered except this one part mm-hmm. with the fucking clown doll. I guess I won't do Poltergeist for my next topic. Please, let's not talk about clowns. We're not going to. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's that's fair. But I also grew up like watching Scream. Like, what year did Scream come out? Like, 1998? Hey, Siri, what year did Scream come out? The first one, you dickhead. 1996. Oh, you're killing it. Okay. So you're really killing it. I was seven when that movie came out, and I watched <laughs> it when I was seven. I wouldn't watch that movie now, and it's, that's probably why, but, like, I'm, when I was younger, it didn't fucking bother me. The first, like, chunk of Scream is genuinely very scary as a person who loves horror movies. Like... Watching fucking Drew Barrymore be like... On the yeah, phone. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, I have a, I legit, this is a memory I didn't think about until right now. I Ooh. have a legit memory of, this was probably a couple years later, so probably like nine or ten, and it was just like me and one of my sisters, I can't remember which one, 
And it was it was darker out, and Scream was on, and I was in the living room, and I don't think really any of the lights were on, and then my sister was uh, went down the hallway, and I remember her saying something about, like, being scared, and I was like, nah, it's fine, as I'm just sitting there in the dark watching Scream at, like, nine. Watching people get fucking violently stabbed. Violently murdered. It's cool. Scream is so funny, though. I was nine. Yeah, no, it's not funny when you're nine. <laughs> but I didn't have an issue with it. I but say, like I said, maybe that's adult, why I have problems now watching horror movies. That makes sense. <laughs> Whereas I was like, please let me watch a fucking horror movie. And everybody was like, no. And I was like, I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah. So Goosebumps was made after Are You Afraid of the Dark? But here are some people who were in Goosebumps. Oh, God. So fucking Adam West at one point <laughs> is in some episode. Oh god. Uh, Laura Vanderford from Smallville. I don't know if that's how you what say her name. She, which one? She was I think she was Supergirl. Okay. Fucking Colin Mockery from Whose Line is in an episode, <laughs> which is weird. And then Hayden Christensen and Ryan Gosling are both in episodes. LOL. So in early 2000, uh, Scholastic and Parachute Press had a fight about renewing the contract, and the books just kind of stopped. Um, it was around this time that A, Harry Potter was coming out and Scholastic was hopping on that train. B, R.L. Stein was like, there are just so many fucking Goosebumps books. So <laughs> I'm kind of tired of writing a whole book every month. It wasn't even that. It was... I'm sure the kids are tired of reading the same fucking shit all the time. So, sad face about that. There were two movies which I didn't get into because I was hip deep in the 90s and couldn't get out of it. But yeah, Goosebumps was a lot of people's first foray into the world of horror at all. On Wizard and the Bruiser, they say that not every kid who picked up Goosebumps ended up being a horror fan. But every kid who was a horror fan picked up a Goosebumps book. Um, it started a lot of us on the path to being full-blown horror fans as adults and gave a lot of us the reason to get deep into books that never felt like work. It was a lot of people's babies first horror, which yeah. was really nice. I had a lot of them. They were cute, you know? They were, like, too scary. Nothing was ever too deep or too much. It was very easily read. Ugh. Awesome. So, yeah. That's Goosebumps. That's R.L. Stein. And that is... Oh, wait, no, hold on. I have one more thing. Oh, no, one more. So, because Goosebumps was so fucking popular, um, they had a ton, a literal fuck ton of merch. And I thought it would be fun to list some of this merch off because it's silly as shit. So many awesome, like, fucking baseball caps that I wanted to buy that I probably can't because they're kid-sized. And also, you can't find them for, like, less than $50. But literally, they're like versions of the fucking covers. And so I was like, this cool. is so cool. How I got my head shrunken sneakers, the werewolf of fever swamp slippers, several winter gloves, which is okay, I guess that's fine, whatever. And then like t shirt and short sets that are like for the beach, fabric, a couple coffin shaped wallets, keychains that made Halloween sound effects, rings with the heads of characters on them, fucking pogs. Um, a radio bookshelf thing that has two spooky hands on top to keep your Goosebumps books in which I have a picture of which I am going to pull up for you right now because it is the silliest goddamn thing (laughs) the book stand and clock radio that holds your clock (laughs) it's so silly Um, 
a uh, fucking doorknob cover that has a spooky hand. We're going to find that, and that's going to be our signal for when we can have people to our apartment I'm that we're having it. sex in our room. That's Isn't that amazing? Honestly, <laughs> that's the fucking funniest thing I've ever seen. You're going to be like, well, I don't want to grab that weird hand, so it's fine. <laughs> I didn't want to see you that badly. It's fine. Um, tons of fucking school supplies, like pencils and racers and pencil toppers and tape dispensers. Glue sticks, so rulers, which I would kill to do measurements for people's glasses it with. A stapler that was just a purple alligator head. Um, a compass that you use, but like the one for geometry, not like the one that you use when you're lost. And then also like skateboards and padding. The amount of shit that they sold for this was stupid and it was so good and every single thing that they listed it was like oh my god i want this but also i cannot own this because it is too many things and everything is vintage now so it's expensive yeah but yeah Yeah. so Everyone these days could use a little support. And your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Okay, what are you doing? Sorry, I'm talking. (laughs) You had your turn, Martha. (laughs) All right. Today, I am going to talk about... A uh, very near and dear game to my heart, Fatal Frame. Have you ever heard of this one? Maybe. All right. So it's a good one. It's really good. I feel like it's more of a classic. I don't think the newer one blew up. It's like the name I know, and that's literally it. So this is also bringing me back to like high school. (laughs) And it is a survival horror game, but much different of a twist than just like Resident Evil or Silent Hill or even the few that we We played. Yeah. My sources today are Wikipedia, Fandom, I read something on IGN.com, and then I read an article on Backpackerverse.com. So, Fatal Frame, it was titled Zero in Japan and Project Zero in Europe. It's a survival horror video game series created, published, and developed by uh, Tecmo, which is also the creators of my fighting game, Dead or Alive. Oh, it debuted in December, December 13th of 2001, with the first entry of the series for the PlayStation 2, but the series does consist of five main titles. So the series is set in 1980s Japan, and each game focuses on a location beset by hostile supernatural events. In each scenario, the characters involved in the present investigation 
are using something called a camera obscura, which is a special camera created by Dr. Kunihiko Asuo uh, that can capture and pacify spirits. No, camera obscura is a real camera. Yes. And back in the day when a camera, when the camera obscura was a thing, it was just a regular camera that you like set up and it took a picture and it, I don't, it, it was a specific kind of the way they did it. But, um, they use, it's called a camera obscura and we'll get into more of what why the weapon it's used as, 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 it's special in, in this game anyways. Um, the series draws on staple elements of Japanese horror and is noted for its frequent use of female protagonists. Yeah. I don't know about the twoest new ones, but I know in the first three, they all do have female leads. I'm sorry. You just said the twoest new ones? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the two newest ones? And the newest two is what I have written. <laughs> The newest two. Yep. I haven't played them. I don't even know what, what they're about. But the first three, they all have female leads. Fuck. The series was created by Makoto Shibata and Kasuke Kikuchi after the introduction of the PlayStation 2 and the success of Silent Hill series. The pair decided to develop a horror series inspired by Shibata's own spiritual experiences and popular Japanese horror films of their time. Their main goal was to make the most frightening game experiences possible, and each game got more refined in the game, uh, more refined in the gameplay mechanics, also while adding more complex narrative elements as they went on from game to game. And I will tell you that it is extremely creepy because the only weapon you have is a camera and your only ammo is film. And the only time you can usually see these things is when you're looking through the camera. So you have to specifically bring it up to your face oh to do God. it. Yes. So you'll like hear something and you'll be like, fuck, where is this motherfucker? And you won't see them unless you bring the camera to your face. And you have to catch them on a photo in order to damage them. Shitty. Yeah. So it's a lot creepier than like, like Resident Evil can be fucking creepy, but like you just have, you, you know get, you especially, especially if you're like, oh, I played this game 800 times and I have giant guns, so it doesn't fucking matter anymore. I have 40 chainsaws, <laughs> so what are you going to do? So what the fuck are you going to do? I armed my 40 chainsaws by taping them all together. I am yeah. just a walking chainsaw. Yeah. So the series has received a lot of critically acclaimed notions uh, being ranked alongside other horror series, including Resident Evil, one of my favorites, and yeah. Silent Hill. Um, spooky also. Yes, also very spooky and very popular. Who doesn't love Pyramid Head and some nurses? <laughs> I love a good scary nurse. Um, while individual games have been ranked among some of the best survival horror games in existence, Although the sales of individual games has never been that high, the series as a whole has sold over a million copies worldwide as of April 2014. Damn. Multiple Japanese media adaptations have been made, including a manga and a 2014 live-action feature film, which we should probably find. Did you know I went through a huge, huge phase of Asian horror films? Like, I watched a shit ton of that. I'm not surprised by that, but I'm also incredibly surprised by that. Yeah. Because you're not really a horror person, yep. as we have previously discussed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
There was the oh, the Suicide Club, which is yeah. a huge film in Japan, and they all jumped on the train. Yep. The the worst part of the Suicide Club was the woman who was who ended up getting entrapped in it was chopping a carrot and just kept cutting onto her finger. Ugh. Ooh, it's like that. Did you ever see Cabin Fever? No. Of course not. That makes sense. Ryder Strong was in it, and I was like, oh, Ryder Strong is the name of Sean from Boy Meets World. So, <laughs> I know, his name is already a porn name. You're stuck with porn name. And, but like, lean in, know. sir. You're so attractive. So, today we're going to specifically talk about the first game, and the one that started it all, and the first one I played back in, like, 2006 when I was in high school. Small beam. Alright, so the game starts by introducing our main protagonist, and who you play for most of the game, Miku Hinasaki. Miku, a young girl around the age of 17, has entered Himoru Mansion looking for her older brother, Mafuyu Hinasaki, who has gone missing in the mansion about two weeks ago when he was looking for his mentor, who is a novelist, that was researching the mansion for a story. Though she doesn't find her brother when she first comes in, she does find her mother's old camera that Mifuyu had brought with him. We come to find out that this camera is known as the Camera Obscura and has a powerful ability to capture things that are unable to be seen by the naked eye and exercise spirits. Why the mansion has film all over the place that lets you exercise these spirits, we don't talk about. Once someone enters the mansion, this unseen timer starts, and over time, rope marks will appear on the wrist at first, then the ankles, and then finally the neck. Once the final marks appear on the person's neck, the ritual is complete, and the person perishes, leaving their soul trapped in the mansion, along with the rest of the spirits that haunt Himuro Mansion. Migu enters, and shortly after her first battle with the lost spirit, and the rope marks appear on her wrist. She realizes that she's now trapped in the mansion, and she continues to search for her brother while battling the scorned and tortured spirits and covering the mansion mysteries to find a way out before the strangling ritual is complete. Yikes. Yes. Hard yikes. Hard yikes, indeed. Okay. So when I say mysteries, I really do mean it. There's a lot going on here. We find out that Miku and Mafuyu's grandmother actually lived in the mansion as a young girl, and she was the one that found the camera. She may have even been kidnapped by the ghost, but they must have liked her because they ended up letting her go. Nice ghost. (laughs) She escaped the mansion (laughs) and had her own family and passed the camera down to their mother. After the sibling's mother passed away, they were given the camera. You also discover that the camera contains the last pieces of the holy mirror, which is probably why it can capture ghosts and probably why it has the power to banish them. So, the mansion is full of spirits, and basically all of them want to kill you. But we find out that the main spirit, keeping all the souls trapped in the mansion, is the rope shrine maiden herself. Her name is Kiri. Then there is this one ghostly figure that appears to be trying to help you throughout your gameplay, and she's a young girl that appears in a white kimono. Drama! The worst! Adding to the drama! So, 
what is the rope frying maiden ritual? There is a gate to a sort of hell underneath the grounds of the mansion, and the ritual is used to keep the gate closed, and so that the malice can't escape. The shrine maiden is stretched to an ex- in extreme by a mechanism until death. That sounds really bad. Yes. Bad times. So, uh, Kiri, who we find out is the shrine maiden for this rope shrine ritual, was prepared for a role as rope shrine maiden for her whole life. She was well aware of her duty and how important it was, which is what led to the eventual development of the girl in the white kimono. However, before the ritual, there was a guest at the mansion, and she met this man, and they fell in love. Because of this, she now had an attachment to the world, which led the binding ritual to fail. The failure of the ritual drove the family master mad, and that's why he ended up killing all the priests and then himself, and it's likely that he blamed himself and the priests for the failure and then deemed that the punishment for the failure must be death, which is a, a pretty standard idea in ancient Japan. I guess I'll just die. Based and kill all of my family, too. I guess we'll all just die. Yeah. This might be where my love of fucking family annihilators have come from. Oh, no! Reaching into Brittany's past and looking at why she's fucked up. (laughs) Damn! That's usually me, so it's nice to give it to somebody else this time. Damn! (laughs) Last week it was about my fucking guys. The week before that was how I'm fucking Fred and Daphne if they had a baby. And this week is why I'm obsessed with family annihilators. Next week we're just gonna get you into regular regular therapy. <laughs> you know, once I start getting regular regular paychecks I can have regular regular therapy. <laughs> Shit. So, uh, therapist. <laughs> I recently realized that I'm Fred and Daphne's baby. Can you please help me? But, like, as personality-wise, <laughs> can you excise the Fred part? <laughs> I need help. <laughs> See if I'm like, hey, I need to excise the shaggy part of my brain to my therapist, she's going to be like, you need that part of your brain to take a break. I'm like, oh. And to do that, you'd have to stop smoking weed. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay. So, the girl in white, in the white kimono, mm-hmm. appears to be a younger incarnation of Kiri. And when it came time for the binding ritual, Kiri was torn between wanting to live to be with her love or fulfilling her duty to seal the malice. It seems that the girl in white is a portion of her soul that wanted to fulfill her duty, that she's trying to help Mafuyu and Miku break the curse. And then the evil spirit Kiri is a portion of her soul that was corrupted by the malice and wants to make everyone suffer as she did. We do find out, though, that Mifuyu is not dead, and it's because he actually looks like her lost lover, so she hasn't killed him. Ah. And then, but there's, like, weird things going on, obviously, more than just the ghosts in the yes. house. So while while uh, while you're Miku and you're wandering around the mansion, sometimes Mifuyu, you'll see Mifuyu uh, also wandering around the mansion. 
and they'll see each other at various times, but it appears that there's some type of time warp going on, and it's out of sync so that they can't actually interact with each other. So usually you're only Miku, but sometimes you'll go into an area and you'll see Mifuyu, and they can kind of even be like, see each other, but they can't actually do anything with each other Mm -hmm. because they're on different planes. And it's just another weird thing of the house. Spooky. Yes. There are two possible ending scenes that play after completing the game. The second scene is only available after beating it on nightmare mode. And then there was actually a third ending added that you can only obtain in the Xbox release by completing the game in fatal mode. There are two or three more endings to this episode, but you have to pay for them. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to come up with them this after This is a choose-your-own story. Yes. So if this is not the way you wanted this to go, we're going to choose a different way, but you have to pay for it. So the first ending, after freeing Kiri from the malice with the holy mirror, the girl in white, the white kimono appears and points towards the hell gate saying, don't forget your duty. Kiri raises, rises and walks towards the hell gate and wills the ropes to tie around her wrists, binding herself in front of the gate so that it can never open again. Suddenly, the cavern starts to shake and crumble. Kiri tells Miku and Mifuyu that she must re- uh, remain so that she can block the hell gate and they should escape. So Miku and Mifuyu start running, but Mifuyu stops and tells Miku that he can't leave Kiri alone. So he ends up staying behind with her to comfort Kiri in her endless pain and tells Miku to escape. So she decides to leave her brother who knew this ghost that's been torturing them for two weeks. Well, him for two weeks. She's known him for like a day. But she goes outside the mansion and she watches as the souls that were trapped in the house float gently into the sky and the mansion collapses. This is the ending that's considered canon due to the events that happen later in Fatal Frame 3, The Tormented. The ending that is achieved when you complete the game in Nightmare Difficulty is Kiri closes the hell gates and binds the sacred ropes around her wrists to prevent them from ever opening. The cavern begins to quake and Kiri tells Miku and Mifuyu to run so they can escape. Mifuyu hesitates for a moment, but then him and Miku quickly exit the crumbling mansion. The two watch the, uh, the sky as the souls from the mansion float and find their peace and Mifuyu is sad. And hmm. speaks about how Kiri sacrificed her life and will forever be in pain in order to get all the, to put the rest of the souls at peace. Forever being in pain to take a lot of other people out of pain is why Madoka fucks me up so much. <laughs> had to bring it there, didn't you? Well, that's immediately. My brain is like, oh, you know who else was forever in pain? And he makes me want to, like, throw up because you're so heartbroken. <laughs> The last ending, which is only achievable uh, in the Xbox version, is obtained by completing the game on Fatal Difficulty. The scene is the ending that's identical to the second ending that I just said there, where Mm -hmm. Mifuyu runs out with Miku. But during the game credits, during the sequence, it's revealed through photographs that Kiri finds solace beneath the mansion when she's reunited with the soul of her lover. The two embrace, and the game ends in a happy note for both the main characters and for Kiri. Who is the victim in all of this? Yeah, so if you have an Xbox, it's okay for her. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to pause here. Because I have to pee, and then we'll talk about more, because I'm not done. There's more to this. There's more, even though I finished the game. Uh, 
That thumb was so close to my <laughs> I just stick it right up your nose. Right up my motherfucking nose. But All only right. on the side that doesn't hurt. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm very, very sensitive to your nose issues. I went and got a COVID test the other day because I had a COVID scare at work. Hopefully you don't have COVID, everyone. We'll and um, Martha was like, well, how are they going to do your test with your nose? And I was like, I have two nostrils. They can just do it on the other side. <laughs> I was concerned. I was trying to be a good friend. <sighs> Shit. Okay. This is me saying good friend. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. Yeah. All right. So my story doesn't end here, though. The story of the first Fatal Frame game is Fatal Frame game. If you turn it on, is loosely based off of a story of a spooky abandoned mansion in Japan. Originating in ancient Japan, the Himuro Mansion lies in some mountains outside of Tokyo, surrounded by a few shrines of different gods located on other mountains. So the Hamoto Mansion was said to have been the location of the most gruesome murders in Japanese history. <laughs> people were allegedly found murdered as a part of a cult ritual gone wrong. The Shinto ritual that the Hamoto family pr- uh, practiced at their mansion was known as the Strangling Ritual. The ritual is allegedly intended as a method of keeping the evil out of the world at, and keeping it at bay. It involved raising a woman in secret to prevent her from forming any attachments to other people and then tying her limbs to oxen uh, and then drawing essentially and drawing her. and quartering her. At times. Mm-hmm. Also, gotta love that it's always A, a woman, and B, she has to stay away from everyone else. Yep. I'm like, okay, cool. So what you're saying is y'all are sexist. Or or we could try to go in the women are better than men way is that there's there's no man that's ever pure enough to cleanse because they're all disgusting fucking fucktards. But also, have we thought about just burning things that we're supposed to cleanse? Well, now we do. (laughs) You're welcome, everyone. Fire could have done this, but instead we just sacrificed women. It's almost the same. Right. So, sometime within the last 90-ish years... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You good? No! You good? No! You good now? Yes. Okay. Sometime within the last 90-ish years, the young woman chosen for the honor... Quotations. Quote-unquote. Managed to meet a young man and fall in love with him because she grew attached to him she was no longer a viable sacrifice for the ritual, which means, of course, that the ritual failed and the family responsible for carrying out the whole thing. The Himuro family, I said it so easy before and now I'm struggling. The Himuro family failed dishonoring themselves in the process. The family's patriarch then killed each member of the family as a tradition with the traditional Japanese sword, feeling as though death was a, was better than for them to suffer the evil they failed to stop. Have you thought is, about not having a patriarch? Which is the typical fucking family annihilator mo- oh mo. Like, Literally. oh, 
I don't want you to suffer in this world, so I'm just going to murder all of you because I fucked up. What the dicks? Family Annihilators? I was going to say, are Britney's jam? My jam. Because they're horrifying. Yeah, very, very bad. And apparently this is why. So here's a quote from Makoto Shibata, who is, who is the chief producer of Fatal Frame, regarding the legend. In an area outside Tokyo, there lies a mansion in which is said seven people were murdered in a grisly manner. On the same property, there lie three detached residents that surround the mansion, all of which are rumored to have ties to the mansion's troubled past. It's said that there is underground tunnels beneath the premise, but nobody knows who made the tunnels or what purpose they serve. Many inexplicable phenomenons have been reported occurring on this property. Handprints have been found splattered all over the walls. Spirits have been spotted on the premise, even in broad daylight. A narrow stairway leads to an attic where a spirit sealed talisman is rumored to be locked away. Men have sought this talisman only to be found later with their bodies broken and rope marks around their wrists. There's a crumbling old statue of a woman in a kimono, but its head is missing. Mm. And if you take a photo of a certain window, a young woman can be seen in the developed picture. Mm. These incidents oh. have provoked fear in the people of Tokyo, and many believe that those who live near the area will become cursed. The deaths of the seven people are unexplained to this day, even though I guess a family annihilator is an explanation, but it's fine. <laughs> But it might have been ghosts. Oh no, it's ghosts. Here's the thing though. As far as it's not ghosts. Anyone can tell. It never happened, nor does this place exist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. So it's definitely based off a true story. So if such a grisly murder did occur not even a hundred years ago. Where's the record of it? There's no record of seven Uh, people being murdered. I love this. And it's highly unlikely that no police station or newspaper would have records of a mass murder that took just took place just outside of Tokyo. Yeah, that's kind of important. And regarding the mystery of the locations, some believers, because they don't they don't actually know where it is, there's like one photo of a maybe thing of it, which I'll post. Yes. Um, but there's very few photos. So regarding the mystery location, some believers have offered that the notion that the Himuro family has once again taken ownership of the mansion and is currently living there. Yeah. But this contradicts the legend that the family members were all supposedly murdered. And all first-hand accounts of those weird things that we were talking about are all of just locals and researchers. And there are very few and far between uh, when it comes to actually finding any photos or first-hand accounts of this happening. <laughs> um, I researched ghosts and my homemade EMP thing says that there are ghosts here. Also, as far as I can tell from the little research I did in like the hour while I was writing this, <laughs> there are no reports on any of the mysterious deaths that uh, Makoto Shibata was spoken of from the quote above. Oh. 
Also, <laughs> the name itself is a pretty big uh, dead giveaway on just it, of its possible fakeness. Himuro is apparently an extremely common Japanese family name. It's so common that you could basically just compare it to being the Smith Mansion <laughs> here in the States. <laughs> yep. Uh, (laughs) And then perhaps the most damning, uh, though very tiny fact that most people know, don't know and overlook is when uh, the Fatal Frame release uh, in Japan in 2001, it did not include on the title screen based on a true story. It was added specifically for the North American release. Because y'all are fucking nerds. So is it true? We really don't know. But, but considering ghosts are fake, yes, <laughs> but maybe one day when we can fly again, we can fly to Tokyo and explore and be like, that oh, mountain hey, and these maybe ghosts are find fake. them. And we can be like, oh hey, look, the ghosts taking are a selfie real. with this window so that I can see this ghost. <laughs> Until then. A lot of people just think they specifically made it up for the horror aspect of the game. I'm a thousand percent behind that. Especially back in the day of 2001, based on a true story, wasn't as big of a thing. So it it really grabbed your attention. And people still, like, looking it up, you will find tons of things on it. People still talk about it to this day. So it's something that grabs people and makes them talk about this game. The idea that maybe a video game was like, no, we just made up this haunted mansion, but most of our, like a bunch of our fans can't do anything about it because they live in fucking America. So, um, shrug. And even so, even if they live in Japan, like, it's, it's a, just somewhere in the woods. Yeah, it's somewhere in the and woods. And there is a bunch of random fucking yes, name. And there are random abandoned shrines in the woods in Japan from ancient Japan. I I love that so much. And I want to be the friend of whoever was like, this is based on a true story. Yeah. Like, please, please be my friend. That's exactly what I want to do yeah. with my life. Pretend that hauntings are happening and then be like, lol, nah. Later. <laughs> so that is what I want my like <laughs> legacy to be. Oh, she fake haunted a bunch of people because she's a fucking bitch. <laughs> uh, so that is Fatal Frame, a great underrated survival horror game that you guys should all check out if you like video games. And that is the maybe true story based off of. Also, probably why I have fucking weird uh, obsessions with um fucking family. Um, we both got to look into (laughs) our pasts. I looked into why I have so many weird doll and actual ventriloquist dummy issues with my life, and now you know why your family and I are thing is a thing. thing. Someday we'll figure out why I'm, like, super into cults. Mm-hmm. Not it's yet. It's, we'll get there. Yeah. We've been learning a lot about ourselves the past few episodes. It's been really great. It's been great. Hey. It'll be even better when I can pay for the therapy. <laughs> you just go to a fucking like, Catholic priest and you're like, can you exercise the Fred out of me? <laughs> Here's an ascot. I need you to burn it with a bunch of sage. <laughs> 
sorry. <laughs> not sorry. Here we are, episode 24, episode spoopy one. Please rate, review, subscribe on Apple iTunes. You can find us on Spotify. We're also on Podbean and the ESO Network. And we would love for you to check us out on any of those places. Yeah, also on Instagram as... But first, let's talk nerdy. And our email, if you want to talk about any spoopy shit with us, is. But first, let's talk nerdy at yahoo.com. <laughs> there was an S there, I swear to God. But first, let's talk nerdy <laughs> at yahoo.com. Email us about your spoopy nonsense. We want to hear it. If yeah. you have any weird ghost stories or goosebump stories, we will make fun of you yes. for the ghost stories and we will absolutely applaud you for the goosebump stories. Absolutely. All right, everyone, have a great night, and we will see you next Tuesday. Clank! Listener, beware, you're in for a scare! <laughs> okay, I'm reading off my phone, too, because I have to have the Patriots on my iPad. <laughs> so... I assume that we have talked about your Patriots obsession I'm somewhere. Sure. That's how I know about Jimmy G. And I know we <laughs> talked about him. So So uh if I randomly go quiet, it's probably because something is happening in the game that I need to pay attention concentrate to. on. Oh no, Jimmy G got hurt! <laughs> Not his face, right? No, his ankle. That's fine, I don't need that. He needs it! Yeah, it's fine. Can I see a picture of them? Is that him? Sarah, oh, hey, baby. Look at his stupid smile. He's a Disney prince. Oh, that means you want to throw up and die. <laughs> Boom! Boom. Baby! Baby. Sorry. Husband did things. All right. So. Where's her mother? Mine. Your husband is hurt, remember? And he's not on the Patriots. It's not his And I'm assuming though, right? Jimmy G is who you're referring to Obviously, as your husband. I have no other husbands. That's a lie. I have like three other husbands and like 50 other wives. Oh, they real close. Hold on, it's third and goal. It's important. Something just. Get it in! Snip. Was that what that said? SNF? I'm gonna ask Kevin to put all of your. And it does say snip because it's Sunday night football. (gasps) Oh! I know you just called me out for gasping earlier. (laughs) Shit. But yeah, no, I'm gonna be like, Kevin, can you put all of the football sounds at the end as a, like, bonus for our <laughs> listeners because they're really funny. <laughs> hey, and if I don't text that to you, Kevin, this is me saying it right fucking now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Go! Baby! Sorry. Husband. It's okay. Husband. It's okay. We're leaving it all in at the end. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> And he's like, I know, I watched it, and I felt that same emotion. Yes, but put it in a fucking super... Motherfuckers! Add some weird techno. <laughs> Motherfuckers! <laughs> Bitch! <laughs> this has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. 
Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.